Okay, we're off. Welcome, Helen McKenzie from Procurious. How are you? I'm great. How are you today? Very good. Thank you very much. Um, so before we get into the topics um, all around what makes services procurement different and how best services procurement can be managed, what I'd really like to do is just go into a little bit of background on your journey in the industry, um, how you got to where you are now, and why you do what you do at, and I'll pronounce it correctly this time, Procurious. <laughs> okay, yeah, thanks. Well, I was somebody that was good at maths. So when I came out of university, I became an accountant, which is what a lot of people did uh, at that time. Um, but uh, it didn't really um, fulfill my, uh, you know, my uh, thirst to have an impact in the business. So I worked in the public sector. So I got the opportunity to go to policy and did that for a few years. And then I got the chance to go back to financial service and get promotion. So I thought, well, right, well, I'll go back there. And I was responsible for everything apart from the accountants. So payroll, uh, tax collection, uh, benefits processing and so on. Um, the opportunity arose to um, take the lead for procurement. And um, I grabbed it because procurement is, for me, the intersection between um, policy and delivery, you know, through our third party spend. And it really gave me the chance to get my um, hands on um, the ability to make an impact uh, through through what we did with suppliers. So I did that and I was the lead with that for uh, 10 years. Uh, did quite a lot of work at the national level in Scotland with colleagues around local government, around central government, procurement policy and so on and got the chance to make a change and um, decided to do that and see what else I could do. And I've uh, got the opportunity to come and work at Procurious. And uh, Procurious being an online network for procurement and supply chain where we um, do a lot of work through our platform and through uh, some of the other things that we do to connect people, to share ideas, share good practice and so on. And I just love that. I love the fact that procurement um, can be involved in sustainability so whether you're thinking green or you're thinking ethical sourcing or you're thinking local suppliers procurement can be there procurement can be there uh, making sure the, the business gets the very best deal you possibly can for the money you've got and procurement can be there in terms of finding innovation within the supply chain within suppliers and bringing that to the business so you know it's really fascinating and the ability to make an impact in all sorts of areas is there and that's uh, one of the reasons why I love procurement the other reason I love procurement is because we're such a great community we love um, helping each other collaborating and you know no better place than Procurus to do that so that's where I am now so that's me and Procure procurement's just um, something I love because it's just so impactful. Well you, you, you give a wonderful description there and I think it's it's really interesting when you when you bring up phrases like sustainability and innovation and how procurement can make such a positive impact in those areas, because these things are becoming so much more important at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, so just in terms of, of how Procurious operates, um, just give me a little bit of more background about how the community actually kind of knits together. Okay, well, we've, we've got an online platform, so that's where Procurious um, sits in terms of the world, uh, and it's free to join. Anybody who's interested in procurement supply chain can become a member, so it could be 
that you're somebody who works in procurement or you're somebody like your good sales who supply services that support procurement. Um, so anybody can join that. Um, we share um, a lot of ideas. So we have a blog five days a week. We have webinars. We have podcasts. And we also, within the UK, have a roundtable programme, which is a corporate membership programme, um, which I'm uh, heavily involved in, where we support CPOs and their teams um, to, to develop, improve and connect. Um, one of the big things that Procurus is, is a network, it's a community. So we have places on the platform where people can ask questions, can share ideas. And, um, you know, that collaboration around um, what, what uh, we would call crowdsourcing confidence comes from that whole ethos that, you know, together we can we can do so much more than we can do on our own. And as, ta as Tanya, our founder, Tanya Siri, our founder would, would, would say, um, you know, it can be a very lonely place if you're somebody who's beavering away on a category on your own in a company in procurement with no bigger team around you or no peers to ask. And that's where Procurus comes in. It, it, it connects those people that are operating on their own um, to other other colleagues in that category or in the space that can help them and support them and, and help them deliver for the business. So, so that's how we work. Um, and yeah, the Roundtable programme is the bit that I work on and that uh, supports CPOs and their teams. And that's the sort of paid membership programme um, that we've been delivering for a number of years now. And it's uh, a fantastic space for, you know, great thinking, great thoughts. I would say that thinking, great thoughts, connecting, networking and, and, you know, just chewing over ideas and seeing how they might fit within procurement. Brilliant. I think you make a very valid point about people potentially feeling isolated in some cases mm -hmm. um you know we see a lot a lot of procurement setups that we see are run very very lean um yes. and i think you know the importance of procurement within the organization um has taken a step up in importance with some of the stuff going on in the market at the moment but mm -hmm. in, in a lot of cases it does still seem to be very lean where people are um you know under heavy burden of of uh, of work um and maybe don't have that many peers around them in a similar category for example i mean you know coming on to some of the topics we we're going to discuss today obviously when you look at services procurement specifically um you know we're, we're kind of addressing how that's different to dealing with other categories and i think sometimes you can find people may even be isolated within a particular category if it's a larger mm -hmm. organization um but i'd be interested to get your thoughts in terms of the differences that you see in the market um when it comes to the ways that goods and services are managed by procurement in the sense that, um, you know, in some ways goods are more simple, um, but there are other issues on that side, whereas services are harder to measure and define. Um, what's your kind of experience of, of what you see in the market? Well, I mean, I think uh, goods procurement in a sense is, can be a lot more straightforward at the sourcing end. You know, if you know, if you know what you want, if you, if you're sourcing a, a part for a machine or if you're sourcing um, a particular materials for packaging that you make for your the product that your company produces, then, you know, it's fairly straightforward in terms of what you're looking for there. Obviously, you can you can have some creativity around around the size of that, that but it, then that's much more about fulfillment and supply chain and, and making sure things are where they need to be when you need them. Uh, what I've found, and so in my, in my experience in, in government procurement, you know, we 
um, had a lot of collaborative buying that went on for goods because, you know, a, a bin that you would put your rubbish in that you would use where you live is probably the same as a bin that I use where I live. Um, it might be a different colour. So actually it makes sense to, to standardise the specification and to buy the same bin. And often, often across organisations, you can do a lot of that consolidation of spend, of trying to bring things together. Um, supplies are a bit different because, uh, or so services are a bit different because obviously it's not necessarily all that, always that straightforward to buy services. So I, I suppose if you're buying a, a transactional service like a call centre, then you know, you might say, well, I want the phone answered after so many rings, et cetera, et cetera. But customer satisfaction, customer service um, are a lot more difficult to, to measure and to source than, you know, a, a part that's a certain size that fits a certain piece of machinery. So, so you know, you're often looking at um, what good looks like, what quality looks like, and what sort of outcome you're trying to, to achieve from that. And back to my example of a call centre, you know, I might ring up um, because my electricity is off and I might want to uh, find out what's happening. Now, the person in the call centre can't turn the electricity back on for me, but they can deliver a very good customer service that at the end of it, I come out feeling... Um, well served um, and that's I suppose the devil's in the detail around quality but I can be a very transactional call center that's that doesn't treat the customer particularly well um, that's very mechanistic or very um, standardized about what people can say and the customer then comes away feeling rubbish and goes on to Twitter and, and tweets about it so so you've got something around quality there in services that is is different and you know we a lot of things that we did um, in, in my um, previous experience was to go to the market for outputs or outcomes so you know what's the outcome we're trying to achieve from the service well if it was a service for a, a vulnerable young person you know the outcome is that person that young person's um, mental health being improved. Now that's quite a difficult thing to specify and to measure, uh, but that services procurement compared to, um, I don't know, buying that um, young person a, a train ticket to go somewhere, you know, which is which is more on that side. So yeah, I mean, that's a roundabout way of, of talking about the differences, but I think quality, um, the human interaction and that sort of thing does come into services uh, much more than goods. And, you know, you can have catalogues for goods as well, things like you just go on and catalogues. And as I say, it's it's, it's a bit more transactional and, and where procurement thought comes in there is is making sure stuff gets where it needs to go. Um, yeah, so, so, so I guess it's more of a logistical effort on yes. the good side to a certain extent, whereas the services... Mm -hmm. You know, there does need to be some thought put into it because it they're generally more difficult to define. Yeah. They're not going to be standardised as you would get with a goods type catalogue, and um, and it's harder to measure because it's more yeah. nuanced. Um, Absolutely. And and one of the things that 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 comes up a lot is where um, where the buying decisions around things like services are basically kind of thrust upon procurement to a certain extent. 
for example, if um, you know there's a particular company that has a very good C-suite relationship and it's just a done deal that they're going to be delivering X project, um, how do you see that impact people within the procurement community? Well, you know, that can be quite frustrating. I mean, that's something that we, you know, I've come across in my career where you've, you know, you've done a lot of work around compliance, around policy, around how you might source things, around a competitive process that demonstrates value. And then, you know, somebody's met somebody at um, a conference or somebody's pitched an idea to, to somebody and they've liked it. And that sort of process then goes out the window because the human relationship, as you say, has been formed. So I think what, you know, one of the challenges for procurement then is about, well, how do you, how do you take that forward then, recognising that you can't um, stamp your feet and tell the, the chief executive that they can't have the consultancy from that company because that relationship's there and, you know, of course, of course they wouldn't look at you as if to say what on earth you're doing so I think you know then when we come in as procurement is to say okay well we've got this relationship we're going to do this deal so how can we from the business's point of view uh, understand what good looks like understand the outcome we're trying to achieve from this relationship think about how we might measure success um think about um you know whether we've got the right um, safeguards around risk so it might be about indemnity insurance or, or, or a contract or things like that do we understand the fee what we're going to pay these people for do we understand how that's going to work and when the fee you know when the payments are going to be made so there's quite a lot of structure you can put around that and and sometimes you can you know you can even do that by working with the provider so in a sense, it becomes then a two-way relationship, that, that sort of idea that there's a partnership with the supplier or the consultants to say, to work with them to say, you know, what does good look like from your point of view? So then you're both bought into the same uh, process, the same set of metrics within the contract, and you understand uh, what good performance looks like and what delivering for the business looks like. So, you know, that does help, I think, where things don't go according to plan or where what you thought you would get when you entered into the relationship doesn't actually transpire at the end if you've if you've thought this through at the beginning then it may be that you come to you know the contract allows you and the consultancy company to come to an agreement about what the payment would be if there hasn't been a successful outcome to the project and, you know, that's as good for them as it is for you, because, you know, quite often people um, don't talk in positive terms about consultants that they come in and they do pieces of work. They're quite mechanistic about it. They might um, have some sort of template report that they might use or process that, that might, they might go through. And if both sides are very clear, you know, what what they're trying to achieve and what that what success looks like at the beginning, then it safeguards them as well because at the end of it you're saying well no they did they delivered what we asked for we both agreed what that would look like and you know that's that's been great news for the business as well as for for the consultants so you know these are the things we can add whereas you know handshake in a boardroom and nothing no structure around that other than we'll give you x thousand pounds for this piece of work um doesn't help to demonstrate value and doesn't help to to deliver good outcomes sometimes as well.
Um, yeah, so. I guess it just it, it kind of you know it gives procurement a, a logic and data based argument on whether a supplier should be used right now or whether a supplier should be used in the future because you're capturing what's actually going to be delivered yes. and and you're measuring the actual outcomes and and as you say supplier collaboration is massively important when you're yes. both agreeing on wanting the same outcome whereas you know a lot of the time we see situations where particularly where this is all done manually in many cases um you know there's just a mandate to work with x consultancy and then projects can run on you know in terms of what's being delivered it's very mm -hmm. hard to look back at that but until you know until procurement are able to actually capture the information on what what is actually required and what was actually delivered and you know satisfaction ratings then you really can't build up a, a solid database case on which suppliers are actually doing a good job and we see a lot of cpos who are basically in a situation where they know how much they've spent with certain suppliers in consultancy and professional services for example um but they couldn't really tell you necessarily what projects they were whether the milestones were achieved whether they're on time on budget because stuff's just buried the sow might be stuck somewhere in a contract repository uh, might not even have any milestones on it so i think you know when you look at the measurement of services it is more nuanced and more complicated than goods, but it can be done if you deal with simple metrics across all projects where you're looking at saying, the project's being defined, there were various milestones and outputs, um, were they delivered? Were they delivered on time, on budget? How much scope creep was there? And from a qualitative point of view, um, with the stakeholders in the business, did they feel like they got a good service? Um, and once you can, if you take that information, then, there's no reason why you can't actually do supplier comparisons. Whereas if you just look across services generally and you don't have that information, I just you just can't do supplier comparisons because every project's different. And it gets quite complicated when it's too simplistic when people look at things like, well, X consultancy's day rate is cheaper than Y consultancy for a senior associate. Well, consultancy Y might take longer than consultancy X, even if they're cheaper. And it's all of these things come into play. But at the moment, it seems like the level of detail, level of information that people have is, is fairly scant in a lot of cases. And I think what, you know, what you're talking about there, you know, back to, back to procurement coming in, say, after the, after the selection process has been made and sticking some rigor around, around the process, it, it does help when you're going forward to um to have the conversation about what value you place on quality uh, you know quality is a really important thing around services service procurement i think in in that you know you're you're often paying playing paying for human human expertise human capital and so on so being able to understand um what what matters in terms of quality so you you touched on it there in terms of your metrics is it um on time and good enough is better than late and perfect as, as a metric. Is it, um, you know, getting it right in terms of expertise and managing, you know, a risk, a risk issue that actually we want the best quality expertise because of the risk we're trying to manage. So trying to get some, some thought around that. And obviously, as you say, some metrics around that helps you have the conversation with the stakeholder um, at the beginning of the process as to what, the, what I'd say the characteristics of the supplier that you want to deal with are and that is that is about you know the old cliche Rolls-Royce and the Mini or trying to think if we've got an international audience about you know a very high quality a Michelin star restaurant compared to a, a takeaway 
restaurant in terms of you know my my output is I need a meal do I need you know high-end marvelous quality or do I need it quick and I need it now and actually the rest of it's not an issue and you know as you say getting some structure around those benchmarks means that when you come to look at a project if you've got a number of people let's say it's financial advice that you're buying and as a business you've used three suppliers if you've got some structure around how you've measured what they've done like you've suggested then when you come to look at the project you can say well what's what's the most important thing here is it time is it scope is it um is it quality or is it cost and and so you can you can sort of you can look at that and probably look at your back catalog of suppliers and say well actually for this project that's the best one to use Mm. rather than who were the last people we used? Let's just use them. Who are the ones we use most often? Let's use them. Who are the one that the CFO has the best, the, the longest standing relationship with? Let's use them. You can actually make a recommendation as procurement for the one you want to select based on um, what's important for that, for the organisation, for that particular project that you're sourcing the, the service for. So absolutely, I think that what you're saying there is, is is very useful and you know if if there's a way of capturing that and having a bit of a corporate memory and a, and a corporate view of everything that's happening then that that sounds very useful to me in terms of moving things forward and you know when you look at your um system uh your p2p system your purchasing system all you've really got there is i bought it off them it cost me that. And you might have a little bit of line item detail around that. And as you say, you might be able to dig around and, and find the statement of work or something like that. But it takes a lot of it takes a lot of work to, to do that analysis. So, yeah, it sounds sounds like a good, a really good piece of advice there to try and capture some of these metrics across across when, what you use suppliers for. Yeah, I mean, it's, to be honest, the supplier performance side of it is, is pretty much the holy grail for us. So as a, a very specific mm-hmm. Um, system for the management of services procurement and basically anything delivered under a statement of work ultimately you want to go to an effective transactional model where everything's captured in a system which most people aren't anywhere near and then in the future you want to go to this kind of predictive model where exactly that you can look back on suppliers and you've got all the kind of quantitative metrics around on time on budget how much scope creep for example Mm-hmm. Uh, allied to the qualitative um, information from stakeholders as to did they actually do a good job um, and also quality we see really interesting things where people are breaking down quality into different criteria exactly as you're saying of what actually is important when it comes to quality you know is it um, you know was it timeliness or was it is it innovation or is it sustainability or is it repeatability of the, the what, whatever was produced by the uh, the services output? Um, so all of these things combined to get to the point where, I mean, within our system, we are actually able to score suppliers based on specific criteria. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you can actually measure suppliers against each other. Um, whereas, as I say, if you just try and do it on this kind of surface level metrics or the zero metrics that most people have, it's just not possible. Um, and I think also that you... It sounds to me like having that sort of approach means that you, when you're asking your stakeholders questions around quality about what did they, what did they achieve, that you're asking it in the same way. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit like sourcing, you know, asking the suppliers to answer a question and understand how you might score them or rank them 
it's a bit the same with satisfaction or or outcome or so on so that again when you've got that data to do comparisons that if you know category manager x has asked their stakeholders for feedback in the same way as category manager y then when you come to compare those two responses even if it's the same company you've got data there that 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 can sit that can sit nicely in a set to give you a whereas otherwise you know you somebody might do a one to five score for how good were they somebody over there might like one to eight somebody <laughs> here might you know it might be free text here and then how on earth do you can consolidate that so I think you know there is a lot to be said for for that but to, to me it also is enabling so it's not so rigorous that it stifles the flexibility that you need for services procurement because you know at tax advice is different from um, investment advice is different <laughs> from uh, you know financial strate strategic financial advice but you might be you know you might be buying that off a particular group of suppliers and you want to be able to sort of sit all of that in terms of satisfaction and outcomes in the same sort of way yeah i mean you know we we hear it time and time again um from procurement professionals that you know trying to find this information out at the moment is almost impossible because it ends up being a retrospective situation mm -hmm. where someone says we're thinking about engaging supplier x what's their past performance been like and then the poor procurement person has to run around to stakeholders and try and jog their memory on projects that might have been a year ago mm -hmm. you know where there's a very brief statement of work there's no tracking of milestones or anything like that and i think it's you know the 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 ability for companies to just be happy that they're hitting the budget in services procurement and that's all they worry about. I do think that's gone now. And COVID has been a big driver in that, in mm -hmm. the sense that, you know, you can often have this situation where it'll be, were you a bu were you to budget or not, where there's very little regard for what the company actually got from those services. With goods, it's easy. You can say we got X thousand red widgets and, a, a, and 50 Land Rovers or whatever it might be. Uh, it's just, if you can't measure that in services, then you might have a situation where people say whether whether mandate from from the CFO is you spent 45 million last year on consultancy and, and services. You need to cut that to 40 million this year, whereas actually they could be making really intelligent decisions to say, what did that 45 million deliver for us mm -hmm. in return on investment? How did that push the business forward? How did that affect the bottom line even potentially? Um, whereas the CFO's response to that might be completely different in the sense they might be saying, well, this is do working wonders for us. You spent 45 million last year. If you can get the same returns, you should, should be spending 60 million this year. Um, and I just think it's all about the quality of the data. But um, as the old uh, tech saying goes, garbage in, garbage out. Going back to your point, it very much, uh, it's very important to be able to capture what is actually required in the first place. And um, I think, you know, you mentioned about, you know, getting the supplier involved and bought into the process. Going back to something you said earlier, I do think it's very important for, um, suppliers to potentially be involved in the shaping of requirements as well. Obviously, you don't want them to just run away with it and say, yeah, we're just, we're just going to do, do this and charge you X. But I think, you know, where there is the expertise, I just wonder, do you see that being something that people are actually um, making use of and harnessing in the market? Um, I think so, because I think, you know, having a having an approach to how you shape a, shape a requirement um, where you've got you know certainly in my experience what we you know what we did was we had a, a a structure to how you might frame it 
and that meant that you were considering all the elements um and you know then that meant you weren't forgetting about so yeah, back to my thing about time and scope and quality that by making sure you'd got those elements in your aid memoir or your structure or your template that it means you cover everything when you're thinking about that and I think that that is important and the other thing is price benchmarking I mean, we haven't really talked about it because we've been focusing on the the quality side of things but you know there was a there was a there was a really good um, category deep dive that we had um in uh, a sister company the faculty had last year where the expert there was talking about price benchmarking and you know he was talking about being able to look at what what the consultants were proposing, the price they were charging, looking at sources um, like places like Glassdoor for rates so that you understood that. And again, if you if you're very structured around that, you can do all that comparison as well. So I think I think there's there's definitely merit in 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 doing it that way. I think also from the from the, the suppliers, the consultant side of of the coin, particularly um, where you're not, you know, you're not always going to very, very big companies, that the more um, there's a shape to the way that we go to the market with things, you know, the more you're going to um, get good responses back, um, because they're used to the headings that need, to, you know, that you're asking about, they're used to, um, where you talked about earlier, the sort of KPIs that you might put in place. So I think that there, there's definitely merit in in not just being freestyle because you know the big cost for a supplier in terms of making a proposal to you is is preparing preparing a proposal um and if every time and every company and every place they're having to do it differently or completely differently it just builds overhead into the into the company so there, there's something around that that's quite interesting as well isn't there about just being a bit more organized and you know templates and has anybody done uh, this sort of thing before things we get um, asked about, on, you know, in, in the discussion forums on Procurious, people are asking, well, has anybody used this consultant before or has anybody been to the market for this type of service before? So people are are looking for um, practice, good practice, other people's practice to try to to standardise and shape the way they're doing things. So I think there's definitely an appetite around there. And I think that it's uh it's not to say we all have to do it in exactly the same way, but no. I think there's definitely merit in trying to just pull it together a little bit more, um, less freestyle and a bit more 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 organised around the way people think about things in terms of services. Yeah, I mean, we, we even see this within organisations where they might do things like they might actually, well, first of all, where they're going kind of, where they're opening up access to our system, for example, to buying managers on a kind of mm -hmm. self-serve basis, you might have procurement um, just basically kind of approving requirements when they come through. And so that just means that a procurement can check there are certain criteria yeah. and they're structuring it in the right way and that sort of thing. And in that way, we see some people building up templates where, you know, a project looks similar to this, it's going to have some of these things and you can use a template and kind of amend it. Obviously, in services, there's a lot of difference between um, requirements. But I think the more structured it is and the more information you have, the more value you can extract from your services. And it's, it's, it's a big cost for most companies. And I think also where you're trying to um, manage risk 
around the use of particular suppliers, i.e. Mm -hmm. that whole thing of like no one ever got fired for engaging IBM, for example, you know, companies can really miss out on innovation opportunities with maybe smaller agile suppliers because if they have, if they actually had solid results, if a, if a smaller agile supplier, someone takes a chance on them somewhere in the business and they do a great job, if other people can be made aware of that, then that can be massively impactful on the value that's mm -hmm. delivered to the business. But if they can't see that information, it, I think a lot of the time it just feels too risky. Yeah, and I think that that's, you know, that's something that we certainly in my old role tried to do a bit more of is, is to is to push back to the committee, you know, the department or the, the service that was going to the market for um, a consultancy and to say to them, you know, what risk are you trying to manage by specifying this much experience or this much longevity of a business or, um, and, you know, is there a different way of managing that risk? So um, quite an interesting um, service to do some restoration work on some artifacts where, um, you know, you, you, you'd got somebody who'd done it for years in a one company setting up a new business right um so if you're mechanistic about it and you say the business has got to you know have four sets of accounts and be this that and the other then that person's never going to get any business and yet the expertise that that person's got to do the thing you need is there so you know if you just mechanistically put in you know four four years worth of accounts or whatever into your into your um, requirements you you don't get those new businesses in and I think you know that would be that is something that smaller businesses do um, do talk about we had a, a fintech um, founder come and speak to one of our roundtables last year and his biggest um, challenge for the CPOs was about the sourcing you know how on earth can we ever get a foot through your door to talk to you about what we're doing when you're constantly specifying and 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 scoping things that we just could never or setting the bar in terms of um you know qualification questions or questions that would get them into the room to talk about things so high that they couldn't get anywhere near things so i think you know that's the other thing to to do and we always used to say to people any questions that they ask what risk are you trying to manage by asking answering this asking this question and if you don't know, we ain't letting you ask it, <laughs> you know. And if you do know, is that the right way to manage that risk? So, you know, sometimes it might just be for, for having longer to do it. So there's a risk that you um, select a, a new supplier and really they're not up to it. Um, but if you've got a bit longer to do it, then it's not the end of the world that you tried with the innovative new supplier. Um, and then you've got to go back to square one with a bigger one or... Um, what risk are you trying to manage that you're worried that the person's not got the expertise? Well, how do you manage that? Well, you can manage it in a different way. You can look at CVs of the people that are going to work on your on your job to see if they've got a track. You know, there's all sorts of ways you can do it other than it must be a company that's been established for 300 years and, you know, trades in the city of London or, or, or whatever. So you know what 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 risk what question are you asking what risk are you trying to manage and can you do it in a different way that enables more more choice or more providers i think these are really good strong questions to be asking and back to your point about your corporate memory and your pis if you've got that intel um 
sitting there that tells you that you've used all these people before and here's the feedback or here's what they're good at and here's what they're not good at then that really helps as well not to keep defaulting to the one you've always you know the safe pair of hands the poor old IBM they're quite innovative these days yeah, so perhaps they're, yeah, they're not the safe it, option but you know I know what you mean when you say that yeah um yeah it's kind of like the fill in the blank with any giant organization but yeah um yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And it's, 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 it's almost like a slider between risk and innovation yes. in that particular scenario. Yes. Um, and I think this is, again, where measurement, as you say, is very important throughout the process. Because I think, you know, in some cases, you might look at some situations where services procurement have got a big spend. They've got suppliers making lots of money out of the company. And it's really poorly managed. It's just lack of visibility. Then you might think that those suppliers actually wouldn't really want the kind of veil to be lifted too much on it yes. in terms of people actually really understanding what's being delivered. But I think it's the only sustainable long-term option, really. And, and actually, it should be beneficial for the suppliers too. Um, you know, if, if one of the big consultancies are doing a great job in finance and accounting, for example, but they're also just doing massive projects in marketing that they're actually not very good at compared to other suppliers, then... That's, that's not sustainable and that's going to fall apart somewhere. Um, so you might think for the big supplier, if, they, if, they, if the, the evidence is brought to light of what's actually being delivered, it might be that the, the client looks at it and says, well, why are we using them for marketing services? We've got all of these other suppliers that are much better and much cheaper in marketing services. So why are mm -hmm. we using those guys? Um, but by the same token, if that consultancy are doing a great job in finance and accountancy, you want that to be visible because otherwise, mm -hmm. if you look at, like I don't know, Accenture and Deloitte in a situation, you might get a situation where somebody just comes along and just goes, well, their, their, their um, hourly rate or their day rate for senior associates is slightly cheaper. Well, that might be completely irrelevant because the first consultancy are doing a really good job and they get it done quickly and on time every time, where the second consultancy might be a little bit cheaper and it might look good on the surface, but actually in terms of results, it's not going not gonna to follow through in the same way. No, and I think it's, it safeguards all suppliers. I think that regardless of their size I don't, I don't you know I don't think it's a trade-off between the big established ones and the, and the smaller ones I think that what you get is the characteristics of the supplier that's the right fit for the requirement you know for the requirement that you're going to the market to deliver for your company so it's 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 in a sense not disadvantaging or advantaging anybody because you've done that thinking up front about who the best, what characteristics are the best fit. And, it, you know, so as I say, I don't think it's anything for the bigger consultancy or the bigger companies to be afraid of because it's about getting the right fit. And the right fit, you know, they're probably nothing worse for them than getting involved in projects that where they weren't the right fit, where actually the best thing for the company might have been something a bit smaller and a bit wacky and a bit innovative because actually that's not what they're good at. So they end up, you know, treading treacle and trying to deliver a project that actually wasn't a good fit for them. So I think it benefits them as, as well as it benefits the other, you know, the other spectrum of suppliers. So, so yeah, it's, it's not a, an either or thing. It's a right, the right characteristics for what you need. And obviously doing the thinking about what is you need in the first place is, is the big thing there, I think. That's the hardest thing. It's getting yeah. people to think about 
the outcome or the output really at the front end. What is it that we're actually trying to do here? And then where we come in as procurement people with our, our, our secret source, our magic skills, is being able to put that down on paper and articulate that in terms of a scope of requirements of specification. That's where our one of our, our gifts come in. And, I, you know, that's one of the bits I used to love was, you know, doing all that engagement with suppliers and then going back and crafting a fantastic specification or scope of requirements for for going to the market with that just encapsulated it beautifully and and you know then it was it was great to go and do the sourcing so yeah that's where we come in as well back to why i, why I love procurement <laughs> yeah and it's a, you know it's a, it's um it's a very specific skill it's not an easy mm. thing to do and i think for a lot of stakeholders and buying managers you know they're they're busy um, they're under a lot of pressure. They need to get stuff done. Yeah. And, you know, they just, oh, I just need to do X. And, you know, for procurement to gradually steer them and okay, go, okay, so how do we break that down? How yeah. do we measure that? You know, it's yeah. for, for stakeholders that can be frustrating initially, but they yeah. certainly don't want to try and work it out. I think there's, I do think there's a culture shift in organizations generally where um, more work is shifting to outsourced kind of out, output based deliverables generally um, across the globe it's certainly something that we're seeing and so I think people are getting more to a mindset of rather than thinking I need five heads to sit there and be doing x they're thinking what is it the business needs to be done and what's the most effective way for us to resource that it might be actually hiring some perm heads yeah. or it might be bringing in some contractors or temps or it might be actually outsourcing it but they need to start think start the process by thinking about what they're going to get at the end. What is it yeah. that the business needs? Um, I think that kind of ties in with, obviously, the way that you're going to measure it, because you're going to measure against what the business said it needed. Um, and I just wondered, what's your opinion from a supplier point of view about the, the kind of fair measurement of that, in the sense that you've been asked to deliver something, um, and it might be um, a report or a strategic, um, something that helps put them on a strategic direction or some recommendations, for example, for them to go mm -hmm. in action. What's your viewpoint on measuring that and when, um, in terms of actually being able to say, well, we did a good job. Um, what you choose to do with it as an organization is then up to you. Well, I think, you know, I think that's that's about what you sign up to at the beginning as a supplier. I think, you know, that, tra that trade-off, again, between cost and scope and quality, you know, comes in there, you know, was the most important thing that we produced an on time and good enough report for you because time was of the essence and you needed to get some, something in front of senior management and it needed to be robust, but it needed to be, it, it didn't need to be perfect compared to, you know, we really wanted deep thought in this. We didn't mind if it took nine months instead of three because actually, being able to drill down and drill down and really see the evidence for the recommendations that you're making in great detail was the most important thing we needed to do. Obviously, that's a different metric there. So I think, you know, that is, you know, people need to be careful of, as, as suppliers as to what they sign up to, because if they don't think about it um, in terms of you know what if what if they're not happy with it what if it's not done by the date what if um it's it, it's not what they what they want um where do we sit then are they not paying me are they not 
So I think there's something about from a supplier side of things being very clear at that front end as well about what it is you're signing up to. And I think also accepting that um, people won't always implement things. I mean, I worked as a consultant on a feasibility study once, um, which was, a, you know, which quite an in-depth, it was an in-depth piece of work. We did lots of consultation with stakeholders. We came up with a big set of proposals by, you know, and it was, I was quite excited about it. I was like, oh my goodness, if they do any of this. And then things change within the organization and it didn't make sense to do it. And, you know, it was disappointing they didn't do it, but it was their choice they didn't do it. So, I mean, obviously if I'd have had a performance clause in my contract that it had to be implemented, I'd have been, been sticking around, kicking, kicking doors down and saying, why aren't you implementing it? What's the problem here? But, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes it might just not be, you know, seeing what was possible and how it could be implemented makes people think that actually that's not quite the right way to go. So I think do, do you think it's that. do you think it's maybe a question of outputs versus outcomes? Yeah, I think you could be right there, actually. Yeah. Yeah. In because... a sense, you can you can deliver outputs that you're asked to deliver. Yeah. But you can't guarantee the outcome if the control of that sits within the organisation that you've delivered the outputs for. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, particularly around public services, back to my example of a, of a young person with med, a young person with mental health challenges. You know, I can be a provider that um, has got some fantastic uh, forward thinking techniques that I might use with a young person like that. Um, and in 99 times out of 100, that might work. But for that particular young person, um, it may be that something completely different is what was appropriate that we wouldn't have known about until we got there. Um, and even though we did everything beautifully in terms of the way that we delivered it, it just wasn't the right thing for that young person and the outcome wasn't achieved. So, yeah, I think you're right there. I think there's something around that that we, we did a big piece of a big we had a big piece of consultancy at my last organization um, which identified a whole new target operating model and lots of savings um, and the consultants did a great piece of work there but at the end of the day the only person that could deliver or the only people that could deliver that culture change that new target operating model were the chief executive and senior leadership team so consultants couldn't do that for them even though they'd got the business case the action plan the you know how you would go about it they couldn't actually deliver that outcome for them it had to be the, the people in the, in the organization that did that and you know changing culture is quite a diff difficult thing as well isn't it so yeah I think you're I think you're right there I think but commissioning on outcomes is quite an interesting it's more probably in the public sector than it is in the private sector commission on outcomes and you know people feel more empowered to be involved in the democratic process that's a nice outcome isn't it um, how you might go about making me feel that that compared to you feel that's completely different so um you know these these are quite interesting pieces of procurement but um whether it actually works at the end is sometimes is a little bit um down to the person looking at it yeah yeah it. exactly and, it, and it's it kind of comes back to the quality side of things as well in the sense that you know you can only expect from your supplier what you've asked of them yes and it has to be something that's a reasonable 
uh, ask that they have agreed to at the point of contract yes. award. Um, yes. And if you can then measure whether they have delivered what you asked of them to, to deliver a course or something like that on time, on budget, with no scope creep, you can't really criticise that. But then you get yep. the quality elements to come into it where, as you say, there may be extenuating circumstances that mean that the outcomes weren't necessarily what the company thought they might be. But actually, the stakeholders might say the supplier did a great job. There were circumstances outside of their control that affected the end result. But they delivered what we asked them to deliver, what they agreed to, and they did it in a really, really um, satisfactory way. So actually, the end result is completely, uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's um, separate to, to how well they performed. Or we wouldn't have even known about the end result if it hadn't been for the great work right. that the supplier did. Um, you know, the supplier did a great piece of work. It made us think differently. And, you know, unfortunately, thinking differently was to go to a totally different um, down a totally different route that you thought but if we hadn't had the suppliers there in the first place we'd have never we'd have never known I think you know one of the interesting sort of pieces around service services procurement is that how much you're you know that whole thing about quality and how much you're prepared to pay for an extra point of quality right and what that actually means um, so you know back to I don't know a piece of financial advice and um, you know whether you want um, whether you want modeling for so many years or whether you want you know uh, a, a statistical a, a technique that's used that's very sophisticated or you know am I really is that really what I want to pay for it's quite a useful um, piece of work to do at the beginning and that what are the characteristics of the supplier I want to deal with for this particular piece of work are really important and I think when you've done that then it's a lot clearer when you come to look at outcomes or outputs even about what it was you were expecting of them in the first place and again doing that means that if you could use a slightly different type of supplier the smaller supplier the more local supplier the more uh, the startup supplier because actually that's the type of the characteristics of the supplier that you want for this particular piece of work so that's you know that's that's one of the really interesting bits around services procurement I, I think is, is is trying to think about their characteristics before you get there it comes back to exactly what you said uh, at the beginning of our conversation where you're saying it's, it's this this upfront portion of it is so important mm, yeah you, know, you, you can never, never has there been a be Sorry, butted. No, I was Sorry. just going to say you, you you can never say whether someone did a you know whether you got a good result if you don't know what you were after in the first place. No, um, and it's that that adage about ninety percent planning, ten percent doing. I think is really, really pertinent for services procurement, isn't it? Because if you do all that thinking up front, then delivery is is a lot. You know, the delivery phase is so much so much easier. Yeah, and I think you know what we tend to see when you look at it from a system point of view is when people are using a system, for example, if stakeholders are you know, putting a requirement in, it means that they can self-serve, they can do it really quickly and easily, and they can put that in, but then procurement can say, okay, well, this needs to look more like X or Y. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Throughout that process, the stakeholders are being educated, but also procurement are spending their time doing the stuff that it really requires the, the skills that procurement have to, to, to make this process work by making it right at the outset. Whereas, you know, a lot of the time, all we see is procurement people just completely swamped in, you know, working through 
40 SOWs in a day that are basically just there and they've just got to get them processed effectively. So they're yeah. not even transacting effectively. And at that stage, they can't really apply their expertise. And it must be incredibly frustrating, um, yeah. which is obviously where if you bring in more automation and things like that, then it does allow um, procurement to work on a more strategic level. Which yeah, is, and I think, I think, you know, yeah, don't ne never underestimate how a, an empowered stakeholder so the, the person the person that wants the piece of the service in the first place you know what we found was the people we worked with a lot um and worked through a, a structured process with a lot became better and better at better at, at the front end at the thinking of coming to us with something that instead of being half baked was three quarters baked or being nearly baked and just needed us to qa or read it or 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 just have the so you know you, you're not um you know that sort of educate educating them sounds a little bit um can sound a little bit sort of patronizing but actually it's empowering them to do the bit that they need to do because at the end of the day procurement doesn't know you know it's what they need better than they do so it's empowering them to to, to articulate that in a way that makes sense for then us to add the value on the And as you say, then you've not got, even if you have got 50 that come in all at the same time, 50 from stakeholders that you've worked with that understand the process that are giving you great quality um, raw material to work with, if you know what I mean, is so much easier than 50 where you're like, oh, isn't it half that's missing and none of it's there and what have they put this for and oh my goodness and I've got to go write it again. Uh, yeah, you're not is, having you to know, unwind the whole no, process. No, and as you say, automation can come in then. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that, things like smart contracts and things like that can come in if, again, your stakeholder is empowered to do that and then you you as a procurement post person are, are, are that sort of value-add quality end on the top, or even things like just challenging, going back and pushing back on the, the stakeholder and asking them, do they really need it in the first place? Have they thought of a different way of doing this? Did they know that somebody else in the business does that? Could they use them instead? So that's the other side where we can then get involved because we're not just putting it through the sausage machine and just trying to get these things out and through and, and done and home at night sort of thing. Yeah, and I think in that way, you know, for, from a stakeholder's perspective, they can see procurement as an ally rather than, a, mm, in some cases, absolutely. people might see procurement as a blocker um, yeah. in the sense of, you know, or you, you've told me I've done it all wrong. Well, actually, procurement are here to help you get it right in the first place. Yeah. And actually, procurement are here to help you get the best out, outcome. And if you get the best outcome, you're going to look good and you're, what you're trying to achieve will be furthered. And that's the you know, massive strategic importance of procurement within that process. And I think a lot of that can get lost, particularly in services, just because it's more complex, yeah, because it's more nuanced. And it, and it needs a, a, a level change in maturity within the way that um, people work with their procurement teams, the power given to procurement within the organisation or the remit. Um, of course, the use of technology and automation, things like that, obviously is going to help that mature. But it's, um, it's pretty amazing when you look at the amount of money that's spent on services annually, um, how uh kind of basic that is within most organizations but again that's a function of the fact that it's hard to measure services um and where where you look at for example procure to pay systems they're very geared towards top level processes and also they're very geared towards goods catalogs that sort of thing which work very yeah. well via those existing systems um 
I'm just interested to get your opinion on some of the stuff we're seeing in the market at the moment. Okay, so there are obviously massive things going on globally. Um, how do you see what's happening at the moment um, with the global economic and situation and the pandemic and the, and the kind of likely um, fallout from that over the next few years? How do you see that affecting the use of outsourced services and the way that services are procured? Ooh, that's interesting. I'm not, I'm not sure, to be quite honest. I think, you know, on the one hand, you could uh, say that you think that near sourcing is going to become more prevalent. Um, but on the other hand, um, we, we did a, a webinar um, with uh, Everest Group who were talking about outsourced services and they experience of their clients was that the outsourced services, particularly um, a lot of services um, are delivered out of, of India for English speaking um, services, that actually those um, organisations had, you know, done very well. They'd, uh, they'd stepped up um, in terms of business continuity, work from home and really, really delivered the goods. So in a sense, I don't know. I think there's going to be I hear a lot of people taking things back in-house, to be honest. Um, that might just be the people I speak to, but I hear a lot of people um, want to bring some of the... And, you know, that's because things change. So something like marketing, um, in two years ago, you know, marketing, advertising, creatives, um, you know, advertising was was a great way to to get the message across, etc. You know, now marketing and, and that is more about lead gen and sort of much more much further down the sales funnel than it used to be. So the way you what you need to buy to deliver your business objectives has changed. So in a sense, where you're buying it from has changed. In, in terms of outsourced services, I mean, you might be better positioned to answer this than me, but, you know, with more automation um, for systems, you know, if you think about P2P, for instance, the better we get at um, doing things electronically, um, the more the business can self-serve in the sense it doesn't need to outsource it because actually the system is doing a lot of it for you. So, you know, perhaps you don't need to have big transactional processing centres in places because, you know, that's just not the way we do things anymore. So I don't I don't really know. I think it I think you can. I think for goods and commodities, it's different. But for services, I'm not sure. I think there, there are things like cybersecurity around um who you're allied with so are people in countries where you know they're, they're going to still be in the friends list for the country that you're trading from next week is probably bigger questions so you know there's there's obviously nuances around the world around who we're who we're friends with and who we're not friends with in terms of geopolitics that might be more um, bigger drivers plus cyber as well you know they secure cyber security an issue there are you more likely to, to suffer an attack from an outsourced service in a particular region where some of the sort of infrastructure stuff around cyber is not as robust as it might be elsewhere? It might be bigger drivers perhaps than 
um, you know, it being just across the way where the person is, is based. I, I see, you know, there used to be a thing about accents and understandability, particularly in English speaking um, services, but I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure that's such a big issue, but I'm no category expert on this, but that's, that's my, that's my Yeah, no, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. I think, you know, maybe outsourced services is probably the uh, two, uh, is, is a, a, the wrong definition from my point of view, in the sense that I think if you look at the, uh, the procurement of services, whether it's consulting, professional services, or an outsourced services like a call centre or something like that, but encompassing all of it, we're seeing a global increase or shift towards um, basically taking a problem and getting someone else to solve it rather than it's basically moving away from kind of staffing to the mm -hmm. permanent permanent um, employee base has generally been kind of shrinking. You know, 60 years ago, it was a job for life. Um, and now we're in the world of the gig economy being very important. Yeah. But, but I think one of the key things that we're seeing is it's all about results. So if you if, when you and when you have something like COVID putting massive cost pressures on organisations, then they're going to say, well, we spent 80 million on consulting last year. What are we actually getting for it? Um, and again, it comes back to the what I was talking about, the drivers of um, ROI. You know, should we be spending less or should we be spending more to get more benefit? Um, so, so we're seeing an increasing focus on people saying, hang on a minute, what am I getting for this money? What did we actually, you have to start, you know, breaking that down and being able to tell me actually what did we get? Um, and the other thing that we're seeing is the, the measurement of deliverables becoming more important partly because there's just been a massive increase in remote work delivery mm. um, and work being packaged up and um, outsourced to a service provider of some kind. So it's a lot easier to do that against a fixed deliverable than it is in any kind of time and material setting, particularly yeah. when you look remotely. If you've got a team in another country working on something, you know, what are you going to do? Put screen trackers on them? Or, or you know, if, you actually, if you're actually basing it on what's being delivered, then other stuff like that that's tied into remote work is, is more academic. Um, but we're generally seeing, yeah, an increased reliance on uh, getting work done on a project basis, an outsourced project basis, um, and an increased need for scrutiny of, of that spend and, and the kind of yeah. results. And, and I think that that, you know in a sense some of that that thing that shift to deliverables in in a sense is potentially shifting the risk a little bit more over to the supplier so if i had a traditional sort of consultancy contract where i quoted you you know 40 hours and here's my team and this many hours for this person and you know like you used to sort of have a, a schedule of rates of who was going to do what and that's what you paid on, you know, I got my 40 hours and this is what, it, and you know, actually it took me 50 hours, so I'm gonna charge you for 50, is a bit different from saying, well, here's a sum of money, deliver that for me, where obviously they're gonna make the best estimate as to how many person hours that's gonna to take to deliver that. But actually, if it takes a bit more, then they're the ones bearing their cost. Obviously, if it takes a bit less, they're the ones. So but the risk around that's a little bit more with the supplier, perhaps, with a deliverable with a deliverable focus. So your pricing might go up just a little bit, perhaps, if you're yeah. going to move that way. I don't know. Are you seeing that at all? Yeah, I mean, what we generally see is if that's the case, then the client is willing to accept a price that reflects mm -hmm. the risk. 
mm-hmm. in the sense that they can make a, a real kind of logical decision around whether that's acceptable for them. Yeah. I think from the supplier point of view, it's of course it's kind of swings and roundabouts, but um for some suppliers, if they can be extremely efficient about it, then great. They're gonna be they're gonna be extremely profitable and the company's gonna be very happy because they got exactly what they wanted or more for the price that they agreed in the first yeah. place. Um so I think it's um I think it's a shift of risk that personally I believe we're going to see more of. And you know, there are a lot of suppliers out there, it's a competitive market. If people can actually harness that effectively within services by writing better requirements, running proper RFP processes rather than just doing direct awards and handing stuff mm-hmm. out because of relationships, then those suppliers that really do a good job will just, you know, yeah, from a kind of they will natural selection point of view, they will they will kind of rise to the top. Um, as being the best best suppliers for that organisation. Um, and there's, there's a bit of a, a sort of ge- geographic democratisation of the process then, so that you are um, able to pick a supplier, particularly with, with a lot of people doing business like we are just now, that, that you, can, you can broaden the scope of who you can choose from because you're not having to have somebody who's going to come and put their bum on the seat next to you in the corporate offices for weeks and weeks and weeks because you can you know we're all working from home and you can do it that way so so that helps as well I think in terms of bringing lots of different perspectives and as you say the the good quality suppliers into into the mix for more requirements than you thought so actually your you know your big piece of work if you're if you're managing that category just now is to get in with senior leaders in the business use all your powers of persuasion or storytelling to to paint the picture to senior leadership that actually um, having some um, selection uh, selection processes for suppliers in this area going forward, having a little bit more competition perhaps, is 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 a great thing to be doing just now because actually there is the ability to just think differently. And if the incumbent or the one you've always used still wins, well, great, you've benchmarked exactly. them. You know that they're still pretty pretty good and they're they're still a great fit for your organization so yeah perhaps that's what we need to be getting our procurement colleagues doing now in services is is just getting a little bit of doing a little bit of influencing and and storytelling just now to to get that to get those thoughts in the great with great minds for when the consultancy requirements come up Uh, you'd think most cfos would love that you know you'd think that they'd welcome that how do you see the kind of balance of power sitting when you look across finance and procurement? Um, well, I, I mean, I do think finance finance have, um, have I would suggest, have the power still. Most procurement people work yeah. for the CFO, so course, they're yeah. the boss. Um, I think that, uh, and just organisationally, you know, that the, the financial function is, is, is a powerful, a powerful driver. I think that the, the the conversation about risk is a lot um, uh, more front and centre than it used to be. I, I mean, I not that any people didn't think about risk, but I think that there was that trade off between cost and risk is a little bit more uh, front and centre now, just because you know people had uh, there was talk about you know the whole industrial model and just in time. Uh, inventory and, and manufacturing processes and obviously that's directs and that's not services but the whole 
um, ethos around around sort of doing it as as cost effectively as you possibly could. Um, you know, when it came to the pandemic and some of these these arrangements were found wanting, I think that the the trade off between risk and cost was much more front and centre now. So I think that that and then obviously we are. In procurement, we're the people that talk about risk. We're the people that manage the risk with suppliers. So again, we're great people to have in that conversation with the CFO around, around that side of things. And back to our outsourced services um, offshore somewhere. You know, having great suppliers that uh, can demonstrate business continuity planning and resilience and and so on is is a is a comfort, um, uh, no matter where they are and, and no matter. You know, they, they might still be the cheapest, but they also might be the best provider in terms of risk as well. So, you know, that's that's it. I still don't think I don't think would we ever be. I don't think we'll ever be ahead of finance, to be honest. But I'm not so sure that that's um, what you know, why would we want to be? I think i'm i'm a more of a person that just wants to demonstrate just wants to deliver value and if that's if that needs to be at a seat if the most logical place for that cpo to be is at, at the c-suite table because of the type of business that they are um so be it but if not as long as you've got the influence and you're making the difference it doesn't really i'm i'm not a, i'm not a I think it's a little bit of can be a bit bit of hubris sometimes of you know you want that seat at the table well mm. let's just deliver value and let's just do what we need to do for the business and if it makes sense strategically for us to be there we'll be there um so yeah. I, I think yeah i think that strategic input mm -hmm. um would be a step in the right direction for a lot of procurement departments to be able to focus yes. more on that that and actually you know use all of the skills that make services procurement people great and help them to manage these mm. complex um these complex areas of, of large spend um and you know you talk about a seat at the table it's it's about what's most effective for the business really isn't it and that mm -hmm. might differ in yeah. different sectors and things like that because yeah. it has to be just a purely really a pragmatic business conversation if the business is spending 100 million a year on consultancy they need they need some quality people quality minds and a good process addressing that and from a procurement perspective if you're not armed with information and real evidence then when you are having that conversation with the cfo that of course is going to be coordinating that spend at the very very top level you haven't really got a leg to stand on in terms of pushing yeah. your your opinion or or, or you, you you know you're not going to be able to base strategic advice on genuine data and information so i think that's where the opportunity to increase the level of maturity of how services procurement are how services are procured and how they're managed and how they're measured could just put procurement in a fantastic position where you know against the probably the, some of the current arguments that happen where people just say well so and so plays golf with x or or you know we've got a we've always used these guys being able to present evidence um just opens up all these opportunities around efficiencies return on investment that supplier innovation um that, that gets into a kind of a broader thought process than just being very constrained about maybe how some of the processes operate at the moment. And I was just going to ask you, in terms of um, what makes a good services procurement person, we talked about 
some of the, the, the skills that they have and the skills that are required in that area. What's your, what's your view on where the real value is in terms of what services procurement people can deliver to, um, can deliver to their organisation um, outside of the, just the kind of you know, administrative processing type tasks that a lot of people get faced with at the moment? Well, I mean, I think we've we've talked about it quite a lot in this in this uh, uh, discussion, haven't we? So the real value is being able to to listen, interpret, and then articulate what it is that our our stakeholders, our our colleagues in, in the department is actually are actually trying to buy here. So that that's you know that's I think. A key skill there is being able to express that so that you can go to the market with with something that makes sense and then leads on to all the things you talked about, about measuring and, and managing the contract and all, all of that. And I think that the other thing is, is bringing um, a critical or different eye to something that isn't afraid to, to challenge. So we talked about... Um, did, do we really need to buy this in the first place because somebody else has already bought it or somebody else does it, um, that side of things, and then through to the contract management side of things. So is this actually delivering for you as we thought it was going to and, and being able to challenge around, around that? And also that, are you sure that going with the, per, the thing you've already always gone with or the solution you've always thought of is the solution that's the best fit for you now. So again, being, being a bit of a critical friend. And I think there's a real skill to that, um, which we um, are, you know, we need, we need, lots of us are good at it. Lots of us need to keep improving it around. So it's the whole engagement with the stakeholder piece. So listening, articulating, engaging challenging uh, relationship thing with the stakeholders that's that's where we we bring value and I think if people come to procurement and they know that one we all work for the same organization so what they want is what we want which is what the business wants which is business success you know then that then then that opens up a whole realm of possibilities for us in procurement to really really add value but it's that that sort of people relationship thing I think is for me is the big thing and you know back to what you were saying is is that the more that we can use systems or processes or some standard things to liberate our time and our thinking processes for these these value-add human things that only humans can bring to the the process then you know that's that's where we that's where we sit going forward. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, is there a future in procurement? Is it just all going to be automated? Well, hopefully all the boring bits will be. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, leaves us to think great thoughts and engage with our, 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 our stakeholders in the business and, and come up with fantastic solutions with them to, to take things forward and also brilliant suppliers or brilliant relationships with suppliers to, to deliver the business. So that's, yeah, I sort of... I, I, feel I, love quite, what, I feel quite excited about that going forward, I think. Yeah, I also love what you said about um, storytelling um, and, and really getting the narrative across um, mm. both to internal and external um, stakeholders and, and also to your company and also to your suppliers. Yeah. And that's a, that's a very human skill. And I think, you know, from our point of view, being a procurement technology, we see the, the kind of 
the, the value that technology can add is taking away the stuff that should be automated and allowing uh, procurement professionals to focus on strategic rather than just pure admin transactional type, yeah. type activities. Um, and I think there's a real opportunity to take that forward with an increase in the focus on how services are managed and maybe companies getting a bit tighter on stuff at the moment that is just kind of flying all over the place and causing procurement people a real headache. If there's a genuine mandate from organisations to get on top of this spend, which I think there is much more so now, then that really puts the pathway in place for procurement to, to really elevate what they're doing as part of that process from being sometimes an afterthought, sometimes left out, having to fight their corner, to be actually coordinating it and saying, this is the right path, these things are on track, here's where we can improve. Um, yeah. And I think one of, the, one of the things I wanted to kind of just, just come on to briefly um, to, to round things up quite nicely would be, how do you think you know, this best practice can most effectively be kind of proliferated? And I think that it kind of ties back to the community aspect. Well, I mean, obviously, I would say I'm curious because uh, that's what we're all about. But I think uh, I think proliferated in a sense that, um, you know, obviously, we're a profession that likes um, likes benchmarking, um, likes um, reports that talk about. Oh, I think I've lost you there, Helen. You're still there. Um, there's obviously... Oh, you're back again. Sorry, I lost you oh. there for a sec. You were just saying yeah. about um, benchmarking. Yeah, so benchmarking, um, reports about best in class, best in breed, all of that sort. So we, we like a, we like a bit of consultancy around that. So obviously it would come there. I mean, we we do a lot within um, our own, you know, within our own roundtable community to to share experience and expertise. We have a, a you know, a next generation um, cohort of, of, of procurement team members that, that meet together to talk about these things. We have um, forums and that on, on Procurious. So I think there's some, there is something around the community to do that. I know my colleagues in Australia in the faculty, um, our sister company, do the same with their um, group of members. So I think there is, there is um, the potential for that. And, and it's, it is just about, it's about working together and sharing. And I think that we... I hope as a community understand what bits of what we do are the competitive advantage for our business and right. what bits of the things we do that are just about all of us moving forward and doing things in a better way. And obviously we've got a fantastic um, cohort of technology providers like yourselves that are working on different bits of the procurement process to to, to, to automate them, to, to, um, to analyze data and serve us up with insight and do all of that. Um, you know, I think about the brain and the bit of the brain, what's it called the basal ganglia, the bit that just does things automatically. That's what your good selves are doing in the technology community is taking more and more of what we do and putting it into the, the bit that just, that just works and just operates. So, um, that the bit that's the creative bit is there but we are we are a sharing community and I would just encourage people to well obviously join Procurious share ask um, and and engage with our community because we are a community that loves to share and loves to um, 
loves to 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 collaborate and it's uh, it it does strike me and I thought coming from the public sector we're very very good at collaboration because we're not in competition with each other um and I thought when I came over to do more work with the private sector that it wouldn't be the case there was as much collaboration but there is people yeah. are really really generous with their ideas with their templates because at the end of the day the competitive advantage might come from two or three deals that are fantastic and great and save the business lots of money but uh, you know, often it's not from some of the straightforward stuff that we can just work together on and, and people do share. So it's, that's, that's, I think, yeah, definitely. I think join Procurious, I suppose is what I would say. Join Procurious and share, but or whatever community you're in. Um, just uh, get it out know, there. Just get it out there and share. But yeah, yeah. definitely. I think, I think there's some really exciting opportunities ahead. Um, and I, as I say, I think there's a there's a real opportunity for... Uh, a quite a rapid evolution of mm. the services procurement market. Obviously, you see everything across all of procurement, and we're quite focused on a specific area. But I think it all ties into the conversation about the value of procurement, how best practice can be improved, um, and people can share ideas. And yeah, like I say I think it's uh, it's a potentially a very exciting time for people in this industry, um, and yeah, an opportunity to do really good work and, and deliver great value. Absolutely, absolutely. What a nice, what a nice way to end, I suppose. Excellent, excellent. Well, listen, thank you so much, Helen. Really appreciate your time. Super interesting to hear all your thoughts and insights and and anecdotes there. Um, Thank you very much for joining me. And um, yeah, take care of yourself and I hope we catch up with you again soon. Thanks very much.